0: Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It's my pleasure to welcome back Alan Ross to the podcast. Welcome back, Alan. Uh, It's
1: good to be back, James. I love being with you. It's a fun time.
0: It absolutely is. Now, Alan, you know, I think we first met when you were working at S.D. Myers. Yes. You know, you've retired from there, um, and now you're currently president of EPRA. Although super brief, can you give us a little bit of background in your electrical history, what you've done since S.D. Myers, and what you're doing now? Super brief. If you got an
1: hour, (laughs) no, (laughs) I'm kidding. Um, Yes, president of EPRA and just being around the industry, um, I've also been actively involved in IEEE. So I'm the chair of the IEEE Smart Grid Marketing Committee and Steering Committee. And I'm also uh, the chair of the IEEE PES, that's Power Energy Society, uh, grid edge meeting and conference and expo that we're putting on in 2023, which is a real neat thing. Um, And also the editor-in-chief of Transformer Technology and Women in Power Systems, which um, is a media partner for IEEE at their upcoming IEEE Power, Energy, Society, Conference, and Expo. I do a lot of different things. And and I'm trying to retire again, James. I'm again. Yeah, <laughs> again, again. I'm trying to retire. Because prior to S.D. Myers, I had retired from my company, which was called Kingdom Companies. So this would be my third retirement. But um, we got a lot going on and life is good. So you, you wake up in the morning and as long as you love doing what you do, You'll keep doing it, and if you ever stop, you either have to get another job or retire again.
0: <laughs> well, it sounds like you definitely have a passion for the electrical side of things. Working through all these different groups, organizations, um, you know, communicating out all the things we need to do to ensure electrical reliability, um, and you're plugged into all the different moving pieces of it. And that's what we really want to talk about today: is you know what's happening in electrical reliability. When I started. As an electrician 20 years ago, there wasn't a lot of talk of reliability at the time. It was more so wire up the motor, wire up the transformer. If something breaks, replace it. And that was about the extent of it. If it was high voltage or maybe some bigger 600 volt circuit breakers, stuff like that, we do a little bit of testing. But other than that, it
1: was just wire it in and run it. Things I love it when you talk dirty. When you talk electrical. <laughs> You're, t- you're talking <laughs> dirty. You're talking my language. Um, th- it's interesting. So let's focus on the uh, n- let's stay away from the utility part of the thing, the high voltage, just stay in the industrial and commercial and and the, the impact of reliability. So we know what 40 years ago, uh, the maintenance group kind of built and grew an industrial and and, and then you had the elements of reliability start to come in and you had organization like SMRP, Reliability Web, Reliable Plant, and um, the TMC, the uh, Maintenance Center down at uh, University of Tennessee. You had a lot of this stuff, everybody doing their thing. But the truth of it, none of it was focused on electrical system. So you electricians, you were just like, hey, do what you do. Here's a work order. Go and do it. You know, just don't electrocute yourself, right? So, yeah, but so the assets on the electrical side never became part of the reliability process on the mechanical side. And from S.D. Myers, as you mentioned, I started getting involved in reliability and fell in love with reliability. And I said, whoa, do we have reliable electrical systems? Everybody thinks we do because the lights are on. The truth is from the grid down, to the, to the industrial site, it is not reliable. The assets are not reliable. They are changing dramatically. But here's the problem. What's cable uh, mean time between failure? Ah, 50 years. What's transformer mean time between failure? Ah, 48 years. I mean, the BT, uh, the, the mean time between failure of these things is so long. We didn't need to worry about them. They're failing now and 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 the bigger thing is we're putting new equipment in that changes the nature of the system. Solid state and electromechanical mix when you know how they're going to mix. When you don't take into account the difference solid state brings into an me- electromechanical system, you know what happens? Failures. Yep. And, and that's the change. So we need a reliable system. And in the in the commercial world, they think data center reliability, right? just be redundant buy more <laughs> you know he, the people that do um, mro spares right on the mechanical side the the uh, the maintenance guy he wants a plant a spare plant yep. on the electrical side they don't want any spares you, you don't have transformer spares or cable spares you might have a few breaker spares and you might have some relay spares but you're certainly not going to do the main elements spare so I see there's great risk on the electrical side. And um, I like to think of myself, uh, I went, I was in the army, not the Marines, but I like to think of myself as the guy that would run to danger. If there was a fight you'd run and the Marines got a great commercial about that. You know, they're the people running to the, to the fight, not running away from it. And when I recognized that all risk and went to a, a couple of people in the industry and said, Hey, Let's do something. And we created the electric power reliability alliance, a not-for-profit, to go after that. And it has been an amazing thing. It's amazing what passion and people coming together to fix something, to do something, to leave it better than we found it. It's amazing what'll happen. And and my gift is corralling people to do that. So
0: <laughs> Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, you know, it's not. That it's unreliable to a point at times but because the meantime between failure and the life of a lot of these components is so big it's out of sight out of mind exactly and and that's what i've found is electrical is out of sight out of mind it's not like we have like you said cables failing on a regular basis you know they might fail 50 60 years after we put them in so for 60 years we don't have to worry about them then it's completely out of sight out of mind and i think as you mentioned a lot of these assets are getting to that age where we're starting to see these issues now. So we got yeah. to get a little more proactive in detecting these issues, preventing them, you know, replacements, whatever we need to
1: do to mitigate that risk. So there's a let me, because you just said something that I think is critically important. When we change the industrial footprint, and, and by that I mean when we go robotics, when we try to put in as much new technology, they all have nanotechnology, robotics, they have solid state technology. In, you, we may not realize it, but there may be harmonics in the line. I do a case study about a dairy company that put in all new freezers and the freezers began to fail. They'd never failed before when they were mechanical, when you went and moved the racks, right? Now they were all automated to do this and they're going to save a lot of time, money and effort, but they were failing randomly. The electrician, second shift electrician, when they're trying to figure out what to do, including million-dollar lawsuits to replace the Frasers because it was causing the company great concern. They couldn't take their product and uh, fast or flash freeze it and send it out. I mean, it was a big deal. Second shift electrician comes over to the the, his guy, Bob, and says, hey, Bob, what's going on? And he's telling them what's happening. He said, well, have you ever – you know there's harmonics in that line. It's never been a problem before they test it they find out there's harmonics in the line you know dirty power a little yep. bit of dirty power guess what happens when they put in a controller transformer for 1500 bucks everything works that's what's happening so it was reliable before because you were using you were using electromechanical machines when you start putting robotic machines in conveyors and robots that weld and and things that move product around i mean the whole thing is changing On that side, you have to look at the impact on the electrical system. And and that that to me is the thing that's power quality is now a reliability issue because the power quality may not have been an issue before. Spikes, sags, things like that. If you're building plasma TVs or you're making drugs and you have a spike or a sag in your power because it's not quality, it's not reliable. It'll destroy your product. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, back in the day, at least, you know, you put in uh, some
0: capacitors for uh, power factor correction and that was it. But like you mentioned now, now we got harmonics, we got all these yeah. other things we got to yeah. worry about stuff, you know, we've never well, had to now, really worry about.
1: And now the next generation of capacitance, right, is is changing all of that because it can create its own set of problems when you put in some of the new solid state relay technology. And that's another thing. And it's, hey, let's use relay technology, put solid state, old system, old system, and the relays are doing what they're supposed to do normally. But if you have any sort of anomaly, the relays that, that help you can be the problem. So the, it, the complexity of the electrical system is changing because the complexity of the manufacturing processes are changing. And and you know we deal very heavily in the practitioners who make steel and paper and, and chemicals and petrochem and refine things. Anything that uses large amounts of energy to create heat to be able to do what it's doing, that kind of is right where we're working right now. And data centers that needs high quality power. You can't run a data center and have blips where redundancy is being taken out of the system or triple redundancy because you just can't afford to keep putting more into it. So you remove any of the redundancy, then you go from triple, you know, 5-9 reliability you're no longer five nine reliable when you take out a generator because you don't really need three, do you? Well, if one is 97.8 percent and one is 98.2 percent, the only way you get to five nine is to put another one in. When you take it out, the the lowest denominator is the problem because if you have an outage. Now you're depending on that one. It's not 5.9 reliability. Go and tell that to the data center owner that that says, hey, my data is going to be kept, right? It's not going to be corrupted. It's not going to suddenly black out. You got a generator that works at 97.8% reliability. That's your new reliability factor. You can't sell them 5.9. Anyway.
0: No, absolutely. So with that being said, what are we seeing or what are you seeing in terms of, you know, maintenance of transformers motors those sorts of things what are people doing now that they weren't doing you no know, even 5 years ago
1: they what they're doing now and what they've done is test because the insurance companies say they must you must test your breakers you know and and you if you follow NFPA and you follow NEC and some of the standards organizations you know you're going to test your breakers every 2 to 6 years 2 to 5 years depending upon who you're following and what industry you're in, right? You're, you're gonna uh, test your transfer. There is no standard, here's what you ought to do your transformer. There is, here's how you ought to test your transformer. So people have confused testing with maintenance. Why do you test? Because the insurance company tells me, or do you test to find out if your transformer is reliable? Oh, so what would you do with the test result if you find out it's not reliable? And the test is is the chemical test. It's also the physical inspection test. It might also be the monitoring, which is nothing more than a testing protocol. But it's telling you to do something from a maintenance perspective. And what we're finding is most people say, I can't get it approved. Uh, hey, it's lasted this long. Why do we need to do anything to it? <laughs> so I think there is a real a negligent, and I would use that word, a negligent focus on the maintenance part of transformers. Um, when you teach them, they learn there are things that you can do, relatively inexpensive things too, but there are things that you can do. Hey, keep the oil clean, hot oil clean it. At a small hot oil clean, you're at nine grand. An expensive one might be 15, and a guy cheating, you might charge you $20,000, right? but you can get it done for around 10 grand on a distribution, big distribution transformer, keep the oil dry and clean. And if it keeps getting wet, you have a leaks, find the leak and fix it. Yep. And if it keeps getting wet because, you know, you've got, you let it get wet. Now you got to dry it out. You can spend a hundred thousand dollars drying out, or you can put a capacitive, you know, a dryer on it, a passive drying system, which is an IEEE recommended process And there are many companies, my my old company, S.D. Myers makes one called Drymax. I love it. I've seen it work. And I've seen people say, can't get it approved as a service or as buying a product. So I think the testing part has grown. What do you do after? And and everybody thinks putting a monitor on it is is the (laughs) proof. The monitor is just telling you the condition of it at that moment. Uh, and and it's always it's all it's a lagging indicator. Whatever is bad has already happened. It is not a predictive thing about what's going to happen. A chemical test pulling the sample is a predictive test. It can tell you what's going to happen. So what I see people doing is confusing the testing with the actual maintenance. Um, but I think it's now people are becoming aware. <clears throat> they're being able to get it approved. Um, I, I have a situation, we did a main anal- analysis, maintenance analysis of a large um, company, okay, production company. I can't tell you what industry because there's really only three big ones in it. But when we did it, we took their transformers, the, the testing protocols of their transformers. And we said, from this, this is your maintenance plan. This is what you need to do to get your transformers to what we would consider to be a reliable and acceptable, we called it a reliability assessment. We presented it to all their E and I their, and their, their different people. In the room was the procurement guy sitting right down there at the front. It was $476,000 of work that they did not have in the plan in the budget that they needed to do. 476, at a minimum, because we we didn't even go to the, we just went to the critical units that they said were critical critical to the plan operation throughout this whole organization. And and uh, there was like dead silence in the room. I looked at the purchase guy and I said, now, could you get this approved? Do you want these guys to come to you to get approved a half a million dollar expenditure that wasn't in the plan, wasn't in the budget? Somebody's probably gonna lose their job. But if they came to you and said, we wanna put a plan together and do it over the course of three years at 150 grand a year, could you get that done? And he shook his head, absolutely, that's what we need. It's about planning. Yep. I'm sorry, but it's it's not brain surgery. But that was the extent of the problem. Now, that company over the last, that was about five years ago, that company did all that work, but they did it. They took the most critical and they solved the problem. Well, there's two parts to that, not the, counting the testing. It is taking the test information and looking at the criticality and saying which is the most critical transformer in the system i either need to maintain it or replace it now you affect the capital the life cycle budget now if you start doing your capital planning so a good program is going to take it and tell you here's my maintenance budget Here's my capital budget. I still have five more years or 10 more years of life out of that transformer. Transformers last a long time. Just because they're 40 years old doesn't mean that they shouldn't let. And oh, by the way, the 40-year-old transformer is a heck of a lot better than a brand new transformer made to the same rating. The the rating is the same. The transformer will be half the size and will have half the uh, oil in it or whatever you put in it. And it has got great insulation, but it's half the size with half the liquid. And all of a sudden, you're going to have significant reliability problems with that transformer. It is not going to be able to accept anything that happens down the line. Yep. Whereas the old guy, you keep running. You run that at 120% of of uh and the new guys going don't don't hurt me don't run me at 100 (laughs) this podcast is brought to you by irideshow be sure to
0: check out irideshow's ibl blended learning for maintenance reliability professionals this smrp accredited project-based curriculum will take you through all aspects of a maintenance reliability program and provides you with all the tools you need to generate a 30 times return on investment for your organization and a set of credentials from the University of Tennessee for you. You can find out more at ibltraining.com. It's it's interesting you mentioned the difference between, you know, that monitoring and the maintenance piece. Because yeah. I see a lot of organizations deploying, you know, industrial Internet of Things, all these remote devices to monitor all this stuff, and they get all this data but I don't see them do anything with it because either they don't know what it's telling them or they can't get approval because they can't convey why we need to react to it or those yeah. types of things.
1: Are you seeing that as well in the electrical side? Huge. It's, it's the biggest problem we've got right now. Everybody's trying to do IIOT, you know, intelligent, uh, yeah, it, it, whatever the other I is. I, I think it's you, IOT, useless. You're, you're putting a lot of things that you're getting useless data. And here's the other thing the massive amounts of data we're getting back from condition monitoring, which I think is brilliant, but I do believe it's lagging indicator, but the data we're getting, where's it going? And is it data that we're actually going to use and do something about? So I think it's the combination. Did, Did you know there's a major Northeast utility last two years have hired more data scientists from universities than electrical engineers? I mean, That's huge. What does that tell you about what they're doing? Is they've got all of this data they don't know what to do with, so they need data scientists to help. Same is true that we are. What and we don't need data scientists to do it. We know what the data should be telling us. We know what a nine gas monitor tells us. We know what a bushing monitor tells us. You know now we've got these firewire things. There's a company FISO up in Quebec that does an amazing job of uh, you know when you design a transformer. Now probably adds. A certain number of thousands of dollars, I'll find out, but they add to the transformer. But it's now wired inside to tell you the problems. It's giving you data. Talk about the ultimate monitoring. You put that in with a um, uh, a, a new one of the esters in there, you probably have the most reliable and safe transformer you could possibly make. So people like Cargill and MIDIL are doing that. But the FISO Firewire, and they're not the only ones that do it. They're the ones I know most about. But interestingly enough, their way of monitoring is to monitor inside the transformer. But somebody's going to come along and put a nine-gas monitor on that transformer. They're going to get more data. You better know what to do with the data. And here's here's the the, the sad part about it. Many of these monitoring companies are trying to. They're trying to hold your data. They're trying to do this. If you don't have open source and it can't go somewhere else to be evaluated and it can't be part of your overall data network, now you have three or four data streams. The guy that puts them in might understand how to use it. But when he's out, the next guy in is going, I don't know what this means. I can't go through the three-day or three-week training to figure it out. It is monitoring is becoming ubiquitous, meaning it's coming everywhere the use of monitoring data is a major problem, and we need to figure out how to solve that problem. Because the cert, the people here that didn't have it before, that now have it, are saying, can it tell me what to do? And will our company commit to do it when it tells me what to do? It's that simple. Yep. Hey, boss, will you commit to fixing it? And here's my point. Don't put a monitor on something if you don't want to do what it'll tell you to do. Because when you do, you are liable. You are liable, not maybe legally liable, but when the bosses above you say, why did that happen? The guy that didn't let, you see my point? It's career defining. So I'm passionate about it, James. it's, it's, It's one of our biggest problems right now.
0: It's everywhere. Every company I know has data, but no information. Absolutely. They, they cannot convert that data to useful, actionable information in 95% of the instances. Like you said, either you know, the information coming from our oil analysis doesn't connect to our vibration data, doesn't connect to our thermography data, and yeah. our MES data. Nothing connects. So yeah. we can't correlate these trends and figure out what's actually going on.
1: And now the people that are trying to create software that connect the data right? Uh, Now all the CMMSs are trying to figure out how to get all that in and and connected and do it. Um, And and I don't think they're doing it. And I don't really know what the answer is because I'm not a data scientist. That's not my (laughs) job. I'm telling you there's a problem. So as I said earlier, I run to the problem. EPRA is running to the problem. We have a working group that is looking at how do we get the message across that it is not a simple purchasing answer. You can't solve a systemic problem by buying a piece of equipment or buying a monitor. You need to step back, have insight, look at it, come down and understand what you're what you're doing. And from that insight, you, you can say, hey, let's look at what we wanna do with the data to get, as you said, information. But ultimately, what do you want with that information? Wisdom to know what to do with it. And, and come back then and look at insight and said, hey, now where are we using wisdom to make these decisions? So don't buy something that you don't know is part of an overall system. And the other part is, why would you put expensive monitors onto systems that you're about to change out in a life cycle? Capital changes, right? Because more than likely, they're going to come built-in systems, and that's the next generation. In electrical, it's going to be built in with firewire, with different... You're going to have the monitors on it coming from the OEM. and and, and it's going to change everything. And I, I really, I appreciate that. But the, company, the the person managing the old system, when he gets a new transformer or a new cable system, it's happening, a, a friend and, and EPRA working group member and one of my advisory board members, Ben Lance from M-Corp, probably knows more about, that company knows more about cables and cable, and they see the same thing in cables that we see in transformers. And uh, Ben said the same thing. The next generation of cables come with their own monitoring systems in them, but it's where the data goes, who gets the data, and what do you do when something happens? Because cables are failing now and in an increasingly rapid But It may only be 1%, but 1% that goes to 2% and in a critical system can cause millions of dollars of problems. We, we've seen them. They never get published in industry. In the utility world, they have to get published, right? Because they have to reveal them. In the industrial and commercial world, they never publish their problems. We get to see them because people say, how do I fix this? Yep. Um, I, sometimes I want to publish them. I told you about the dairy company. I told you about the large... I, I can't publish them because they're our members. I love them. Yep. <laughs> I have to protect them. from their own stupidity... <laughs> Yes, I said
0: that. So with that, if you had an opportunity to drive changes in an organization, would you recommend they start looking at that data, the monitoring, the testing? Or should they just go back and look at the old, I think it's uh, NFPA 70B that has the recommended maintenance practices. Should they just
1: do those basics first? Yeah, or Absolutely. Our standard for safety and electrical reliability from APRA Points to the NFPA standards as the thing easiest thing to do first and to do right. If you're not doing that, don't try to do anything else. Now, for us, that is the beginning. That is the the. It's not our standard. Our standard goes beyond that and says, now once you've done that, now let's start looking at life cycle. So there's capital planning for what you've got to do, and then you've got to start looking at system at the overall system and do a great criticality analysis okay so i got power coming into my primary and that primary feeds the furnace now i got a system i got i can take a one line so we take the one line and we say what are you doing at each part of that one line what's the critical component along because that's now your criticality analysis of the one line and you look at all of them you say well. We do know anything about cables. Just, there's cables. We know that. Well, you better test your cables. We don't test cables. You can test cables. The cable company I told you about, Imcorp, can tell you where the failure is or is going to be. And, and, and they're great at saying, don't rip out all your cables. You've got a 50-year-old cable. But we can tell you the weakest point. You know where they tend to be? Splices, connections. So yeah. they'll tell you, fix this connection. You've got something happening here. Now, what we do is we give somebody an ultrasound and an IR gun, and they go, oh, it's got noise there. Well, do something about it then. Yeah. Uh, and, and typically, that's like the least last thing we work on. That's just, uh, we've got some cable noise. No, you've got the imminent failure of a connection. Connection, go ahead and change it. But um, Yeah, so we start with an NFPA 70B, do this. All right, perfect. And here's the other thing. You know how many people don't? Oh, vast majority. The Vast majority. That ought to scare the pants off of us. Yep. I, I couldn't agree more. Then the other question
0: I have is, you know, probably 10, 12 years ago, maybe a little bit more, arc flash was a big thing. It was when it was first coming out. People were talking about it. Have you seen that help improve electrical reliability in any way? Or is it kind of done its own little standalone thing for
1: safety over here, but
0: not really helped with... Reliability in the
1: assets. I don't think it's really gotten in the reliability world. I think it really has made an impact. NFPA 70E. I think they announced some things. And what they basically said, if you're working on this, this let's look at a panel now. Let's look. We're looking at a motor control unit, right? Panel, Um, and it doesn't have IR windows and ultrasound windows and stuff like that. A company, one of our member companies, Iris is brilliant at what they do. They're like the the number one global resource for Windows so that you can shoot IR and ultrasound without opening up the panel. And basically what NFPA 70E said, okay, by the way, if you want to open up the panel energized, you have to wear a 100-cal suit. You, got, you look like you're a spaceman, right? Yep. You can't hold a screwdriver. You're not going to be able to do anything in a 100-cal suit. But their point was... And and even that wasn't considered safe. The point was the only way to really do anything safely to test or do ever is to not open up it or de-energize it. If you can't de-energize it, what's the next step? And it isn't a 100-cal suit. It's to be able to do something. But I think it is that NFPA 70E and now it's going to go to B and you know how the NFPA rule. But I think... They are the leading edge of getting that across. And here's here's another reason. The impact of an arc flash injury as it relates to OSHA recording is huge. Arc flash, you're either going to get burned, you're either going to die, or you're going to get electrocute. And it's going to come in one way and go out another way. It is nasty. So from a safety perspective, now what we're trying to do is to say, not how do you do reliable testing, But how is it part of the whole reliability system? You can get electrocuted at the transformer, at a cable level. And I think what's happening is we got to go down to the medium voltage part of the world now and start saying arc flash in a medium voltage environment just as bad as ArcFlash flash at a high voltage environment. Yep. And I think they're getting that message out. And I think uh, people are paying attention to it because it is NFPA. They've got uh, I know uh, a, a company that does probably one of the largest mutual insurance companies, uh, FM Global, is adamant about NFPA. They have a whole NFPA training area in their training center. Brilliant. Well, And if if, if FM Global is now telling their customers, you must adhere to, their customers are looking at it, again, because the insurance company is telling them. And and now the insurance company is training on why, on why and what to do. And how do you do testing safely um, without putting everybody in a 100-cal suit?
0: Yep. So all this stuff's coming together. And ultimately, what we want to do is drive electrical reliability, but enable… People to do that safely as well.
1: That's it. Perfect. The the EPRA standard for safety and reliability of electrical systems in industrial and commercial. It comes out in March. We're actually working on the standard. It's going under peer review as we speak. And the last peer review will be at our EPRA, it's the EPRS, the Electric Power Reliability Summit in Austin Energy. Um, It is the best practices for electrical system safety and reliability. So now a practitioner can say to their boss, hey, we've evaluated ourselves because the other thing we're going to do is give them an evaluation tool, a criticality analysis that they can evaluate their electrical system according to these standards. Are we doing what NFPA 70B says? Are we doing these different? Are we following the EPRA standards for reliability of life cycle and maintenance and testing Nobody is. I haven't seen anybody doing right, okay? And right is perfect. Nobody will ever get perfect. But for the first time, we will have an industrial and commercial. They have it in the utility world. They don't have it in our world. They'll have it. And as a result of having it, you can create a gap analysis. And as a result of that, you can go to your bosses and say, There is a standard, it's an industry standard, and most good leadership, senior leadership will say, well, let's adhere to the standard or get as close as we can. Where are we? How close are we? And we want to say your fourth quartile, you suck. (laughs) (laughs) Or your third quartile, you're on the way, or your second quartile, you're on the way, or guess what, your first quartile. Nobody's perfect, but you can be first quartile. That's what we're pushing for. That is when I will retire. (laughs) I get that out into the marketplace, James, uh, you, you and I can do a podcast on the other side of retirement. Okay. I'll hold you to that. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Well, Alan, I want to thank you for taking the time today to talk to us about trends in electrical reliability, all the great things happening. But before we go, where can people find out more about you? You mentioned the, uh, summit in March, where do they find
1: out about all this information? www everybody knows that, myepra, myepra.com, or just get with me, alan.ross, R-O-S-S, at myepra.com. Start there, and uh, I would prefer that you start with me, and I will get you to the right people or the right place or the right thing. There is a link on that website for uh, the EPRS, just look for conference. And, um, it's a limited because the only have a, the university of Texas only has 150 people space at that center. Um, so, you know, we're, we're already about halfway there just from current members that are coming to deliver and in what, and in, in what we do there. So I would recommend that people get on it, but, uh, That's what we're doing. That's how we're doing it. And, uh, you know, there's so many other things happening, James, that um, I would love for you and I'm inviting you uh, uh, as our guests to come to uh, the EPRS and do podcasting from there because you will get these practitioners. EPRA is a practitioner to practitioner. We've got people who started at a plant, began to implement some of the changes that they're actually working on as a working group and have been promoted. Um, large companies, you know, companies, I will say a few names, Land Lakes, Steppen, um, you know, Flint Hills Resources, where people applying these new principles and new approaches have now taken, the, have been given the responsibility rather than reliability of that plant reliability of all plants of electrical system that to me is what's most exciting companies are getting it yep. and uh, epra is at the forefront of that so that's why i'm doing it
0: excellent i will make sure to put all these links in the show notes so they can get to my epra i'll put links to some of the things we mentioned that you're also involved with so people can easily find it Alan, I want to thank you for taking the time today to chat with us about what we're seeing in electrical reliability and
1: all the great things that are coming down the pipeline. James, it's great as always, and let's take care.
0: I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.irridescio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted Reliability Podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm Network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.